As we begin with the word this morning, I invite you to join me in your hearts for prayer. Holy Spirit, as we hear this parable of Jesus this morning, would you open our ears to hear and our hands and hearts to respond in obedience to, in our friendship with you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of the scripture this morning. Again, we're hearing a parable Jesus told from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my accuser. For a while, he refused. But later, he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the son of man comes, Will he find faith on earth? The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. So I'll start this morning briefly with what this parable is not about. And I'm actually not going to teach this part. I'm going to step aside and allow the unofficial worst American family, the Simpsons, to teach us. Context is always important. This is the context. Bart and Lisa, the children, They've seen an advertisement on TV for Mount Splashmore, a water slide park, and they really want to go. So on, on the surface, I think this parable sounds a lot like the Simpsons episode. Grant me justice against my accuser. Grant me justice against my accuser. Grant me justice against my accuser. And she says it so dang much that the judge, who is not a good guy, a little bit like Homer Simpson, is like, okay, okay, stop it already. You're going to kill me with your requests. And then he does, he goes and does exactly what she wants just so she'll stop bothering him. And we can read this parable and be like, well, that's one easy approach to prayer. Just say it over and over and over again. Persistence in prayer. Will you take us to Mount Splashmore, Jesus? But if we look at the context of the story, we'll see that Jesus is actually focusing on something much more specific than how to annoy God into getting our own way. And we learn this from the context, what surrounds this parable. So first, in this portion of Luke, Jesus is traveling from Galilee 
to Jerusalem. Jesus is physically moving toward the cross. He's moving toward this vital act of his ministry. It's not the final act, right? But it's so central and important. And it's really easy to forget this if we're reading the parable out of context. But don't forget it. The place matters. Jesus is physically moving toward his own suffering and his work on the cross to defeat sin and evil and the Satan and death and injustice. And secondly, this parable is placed after Jesus has answered a question the Pharisees ask about when the kingdom of God is coming. Now, by kingdom of God, the Pharisees are thinking of something really dramatic and cataclysmic, like the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, like Rome is overturned and we're back, that kind of a thing. But Jesus reframes their vision of the kingdom. He tells them that the kingdom is already there, but they can't see it. It's kind of alluding to what he taught earlier, that that the kingdom is hidden. It's like a mustard seed. And then Jesus follows up with his own disciples, and he cryptically tells them both about his upcoming crucifixion and the second coming, which is often what we call the return of Christ, in, in which Jesus, our good judge will return. And so it's in this context, on the way to the suffering in Jerusalem, alluding to his own crucifixion and the second coming, the judgment, that Jesus tells this story about the widow. Now Luke is real clear about why Jesus is telling the story. It's to compel them to pray and not give up, to not lose heart. Notice this this illustration that Amelia drew. You can see the little hearts in the disciples' and the heart in Jesus, right? Don't lose heart. That's key. So what are they praying about? What's the prayer about? Is it about just whatever they want? Is it about Mount Splashmore? No. This is a prayer for justice. It's a prayer for justice in the final coming of the kingdom of God, the time in the future when God is going to make all things right. And Jesus tells this story through the lens of someone for whom all things are not right. The protagonist in the parable is a widow. She's a victim of injustice. Someone has wronged her. And we have to remember in biblical times, when a woman's husband would die, she loses everything. She loses her status, her protection, her provision. It's gone. Now, maybe if she has grown children, they invite her into their home and provide for her and protect her. But if she has no children or no living children or no relatives to take her in, it is a bad situation. And people took financial advantage of widows. And that's what's happened to our character here. And so she goes looking for justice. And and she goes to the judge, which sounds like a really good idea, right? Like she's making the right choice. She is on the road to justice. But, as the text tells us, this is not a good judge. Here in this illustration, we see his very loud no. And and twice, Luke tells us that the judge didn't have fear of God or care what people think about him. When it says twice in the text, it's really important. And the second time, the judge even claims it for himself. Like, he's not hiding anything. I don't fear God. I don't care what people think about me. If you think of what it means to fear God, Scripture tells us that the fear of the Lord, the fear of God, is the beginning of wisdom. 
So basically, this judge is claiming his own foolishness. He's not wise. This is a dud judge. This is a Homer Simpson judge. But the woman keeps pestering him over and over and over again, like Bart and Lisa. Give me justice against my accuser. Give me justice against my accuser. Give me justice against my accuser. And the judge gets so tired of her badgering, which we all would, and he starts to be like concerned about his own well-being. Eugene Peterson translates his thoughts as, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up being beaten black and blue by her pounding. And so he relents. He gives her justice. Now, I want to be clear. This judge does not symbolize God. I hope you figured that out. God is wise. God is good. But what Jesus is saying is that if this Homer Simpson judge finally grants justice, how much more will God? Because at some point, Jesus, our just judge, will return and the injustices that surround us and the generations before us and the generations after us, Jesus will make them right. The wrong will fail. The right prevail. Dictators will be judged. People who have abused children will be judged. Evil will be judged. Now, what does this fully look like? I don't know. But in the meantime, in this time where injustice is still here, we are called to be faithful. Jesus says, and yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And this is the gospel message of this parable. We demonstrate trust in Jesus by going to him in prayer for justice, even when it seems like it's not doing any good. Because we are the widow. And our first step in seeking justice is to go to the just judge, Jesus, in prayer. Persistent prayer for justice. Jesus finishes out this parable by saying, And will not God... He's contrasting God to this bad judge. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And Jesus ends with that question. Will he find faith? And and the New Testament word for faith, in Greek, it's pistis. It's better translated as trust. It's an active belief. Will Jesus find active belief, active trust on earth? Will he? Do you trust God? Do you show your trust by petitioning, by asking God to bring about the justice that only he can give? Now, it's easy to hear this and, and be like, you know what? Prayer is fine, but what about action? I want action, and we hear this this a lot today, and that's a very human response. And I will say there is truth in it, but it's an incomplete statement. God does want our action for justice. God wants our obedience, our care for widows and orphans, our acts of justice. And this call to justice is throughout Scripture. But prayer puts us in a posture to work for justice, wholeheartedly for Jesus. First, begin with prayer for justice. Because without prayer, 
It's really easy to get sidelined when we think about justice without prayer, without God, and we see this all around us today. When human beings, us, who are blinded by sin, broken by ideology, with misaligned hope, see injustice, and if we respond to it not in a prayerful posture, I think we can sometimes make it worse. Sometimes humans, us, we try to force justice by taking matters into our own hands, joining the mob, fighting injustice with the revolution. And this has happened numerous times in the last 200 years. But what often happens is that a revolution of one injustice just leads to a new injustice. We see this in the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, as George Orwell so wisely illustrated in Animal Farm. And we see it today as attempts to right past wrongs sometimes create a new sort of hierarchy. Sometimes revolution replaces one injustice with another, and it's not biblical justice. Another response that might be more tempting to some of us is just to despair. That's a response. You can sort of look at the injustice and then turn inward and wallow without any hope. You can, you can internalize the pain that you or others have experienced. You can cultivate bitterness. If you didn't do the media fast, you can post aggressively on X or Facebook and, and just wait for the short life to end. Or you can think, well, that's sort of depressing, <laughs> and it is. And and so in response, you can disengage. This is the third response to injustice we can have without prayer. We can disengage. We can just throw our hands up and say, well, there's injustice, but there's really nothing I can do about it. So so crack open a a can of something, beer, Diet Coke, and just relax because, you know, there's nothing we can do about it. Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow, maybe the bomb. I don't know. So enjoy life while you can. Three responses we can have. But I will tell you, my friends, for over 2,000 years, many, many people following in Jesus' way have made different choices. Different choices than revolution. Different choices than despair. Different choices than disengagement. What they have done is they have prayed for God's justice while also acting justly. Not perfectly, It's not all the time, but sometimes. Here's some examples. One example is St. Patrick. I'm I'm talking about St. Patrick's because in a few weeks we'll have St. Patrick's Day. From the 5th century, the patron saint of Ireland. If you know his story, St. Patrick was trafficked into slavery. He was sold to be a slave as a young man. And then later on, when he became a follower of Jesus, he went back to the same place where he had been sold into slavery to be both a missionary and an advocacy to end slavery. We have a letter that he wrote to Caroticus, who was maybe a king, at least a warlord in Britain. And in this letter, Patrick advocates that Caroticus and the people that he worked with release their slaves, that they cut ties with slave traders. Patrick wrote, however late it may be, may they repent of acting so wrongly, the murder of the brethren of the Lord, and set free the baptized women prisoners whom they have previously seized. So may they deserve to live for God and be made whole here and in eternity. Patrick worked for justice, 
but he also prayed. Perhaps you're familiar with the prayer St. Patrick wrote. It's called St. Patrick's Breastplate. If you're not familiar with this, write it down, Google it later, and, and print it out. This is a wonderful prayer. It's too long to read right now, but in part of it he wrote, I arise today through God's strength to pilot me, to guide me, God's might to uphold me, God's wisdom to guide me, God's eye to look before me, God's ear to hear me, God's word to speak for me, God's hand to guard me, God's shield to protect me, God's host to save me from snares of devils, from temptations of vices, from everyone who shall wish wish me ill afar and near. And though Patrick never says the word justice in this prayer, it is a petition for God to save him from those who wish him ill. Just like the widow's adversary, grant me justice against my adversary. Another more recent example, some of you have heard me talk about the Clapham group or Clapham sect in 18th century London. And this was the group of Christians who pushed for the abolishment of the slave trade. Also, better working conditions in factories, better treatment of prisoners and those with mental illnesses. And William Wilberforce remains their most historically famous leader. He was a member of parliament, and he worked for 53 years toward the abolishment of slavery. And his justice work and his prayer went hand in hand. On his 41st birthday, he wrote this prayer to God. O Lord, purify my soul from all its stains. Warm my heart with the love of thee. Animate my sluggish nature and fix my inconstancy and volatility that I may not be weary in doing good. Lord, give me strength to do good. Give me strength to do justice. That's what he's saying. But also here today, even at Hinsdale Covenant Church, we have opportunities to work and pray toward justice. We have partnerships with Young Lives that cares for young mothers and their children, with Love, Inc., which helps to provide financial assistance for housing needs and car repairs, and and we have partnerships in Chicago with New Community Outreach and Jesus People USA, and these are ways to actively work and pray toward justice. And they go hand in hand. And sometimes, though, sometimes prayer is all we're left with. Here's an example. Our congregation raises funds for a school and church in an extremely impoverished region in India. And and right now, we have money raised. It's ready to go to pay for teachers' salaries, for school supplies, for a four-wheeler to get kids who, who live too far to get to school on foot to go there. We have funds to provide for emergency power, which means on hot days there will be clean water available when the power is lost. Uh, But we cannot get our money to India right now because the Hindu nationalist government is blocking many NGOs from receiving funds and helping those who need it. This is an injustice. And I know that some of you who are here today work closely with this, and you're deeply concerned, and I share that concern with you. And all we can do now is be like the widow and go to our just Jesus and say, Lord, give us justice against those oppressing the poor in India. Lord, give us justice against those oppressing the poor in India. Hear us, Lord, and we need to pray this together. 
Because we demonstrate trust in Jesus by going to him in prayer for justice, even when it seems like it's not doing any good. So we continue in persistence, just like that widow in Jesus' story, as a church, together, and also as individuals, as the Holy Spirit works in each of our lives. Because, my friends, a desire for justice, for biblical justice, is part of the fruit of knowing our just God. And I encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to help you recognize your own participation in injustice in the world. Just two small examples. For students, for kids, sometimes it's, it's easy to just go with the crowd and treat another student the way everyone else is treating him or her. Just to go with the crowd and be unkind. But that's an injustice. And for adults in, in this day and age, it's really easy to purchase clothing and items we don't need that were made in unsafe factory conditions by workers treated unjustly, or to refuse to consider the biblical call for generosity to the poor. It is easy for us to shut down and imagine that we're not participants in injustice because we don't see it every day, but we are. Injustice is embedded in our society, and it's embedded in every society because injustice is embedded in the human nature. But, but... We don't have to solve this problem on our own. Jesus has defeated evil and injustice on the cross, and we are invited to go to him first in prayer. Will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? Jesus asked. And then he says, I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? God will grant justice, past, present, and future. And God has done so much work through the church in the past 2,000 years in granting justice. Our modern understanding of human rights, the dignity of each individual made in the image of God, that's biblical justice. The emphasis on education and health care, that is biblical justice. And and we can look around and still see injustice here and there and everywhere. Don't despair. I know Jesus said soon, and it seems like a long time, with days of, of drudgery, of going again and again in persistence in prayer to God, the daily work of discerning how God will lead us to participate in justice. But it's like what they say to new parents, the days are long, but the years are short. The time seems long to us, but it is all soon to God, our God of justice. So today, in response, we're going to start with prayer. Prayer for justice. Prayer for, to our good and just God. And what we're going to do today is first sing a song about justice. This is a traditional covenant song. It's in our hymnal. Well, you're going to sing it in both services And it's based on scripture. It's based on the call to justice from Amos and Ezekiel. And while we sing it, the ushers are going to pass out this prayer card for justice. It's general. It's not specific. You can use this for a long time and petition our good Lord for justice. So today we're going to obey Jesus. We're going to pray for justice. And we're also going to pray as we sing. Let us worship together.